It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hey, friends, this is Andy. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you by KiteDesk. KiteDesk is the all-in-one sales development platform that lets you manage all of your sales development activities, such as email, direct dial phone calls, and your daily to-dos, all in one place to open up conversations, book more qualified meetings, and really create a predictable pipeline. KiteDesk Flow and KiteDesk Find allows us to find exactly the right people in the industries we're looking for in the roles that we're looking for. That's KiteDesk customer Michael Orfis. Michael is head of sales at Stratified. In addition to the all-in-one management of his sales development team's days, KiteDesk helps him with another big part of his job. We have the ability with KiteDesk to do what we call targeted campaigns. Our conversion rate from what we were doing in the past to what we're doing now has been really massive. So you don't have to take tons of time to research, prospect, then blast large lists of people but never turn into sales opportunities. We're seeing higher clicks, we're seeing higher open rates, and without question, we've seen a massive increase in pipeline generation. So, to learn more about KiteDesk, schedule a free demo, and learn how to create predictable pipeline at your sales organization, go to kitedesk.com forward slash accelerate. That's K-I-T-E-D-E-S-K dot com slash accelerate. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Manny Medina. Manny is the CEO of Outreach.io, which is a sales development and sales communication platform. Manny, welcome to Accelerate. Uh, happy to be here, Andy. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining me. So take a minute, introduce yourself, uh, you know, your background. How'd you get your start in sales? Well, um, I'm uh, Manny Medina. I'm from, um, I started my career uh, as a software developer. And my first job was with a company, um, my first job at a college was with a company called Bell Atlantic, uh, which is now uh, part of Verizon Communications, mm-hmm. um, after the merge with Ninex back in the 90s. Um, actually, before that. Yeah, no, it was back in the 90s. Um, the, uh, my career sort of evolved in the, in the, in the um, technical track. I was very early at Amazon Web Services, uh, and then I moved to Microsoft, where I joined the Windows Phone team. And in the Windows Phone team, I joined the sales team doing um, doing distribution deals for Windows Phone in Latin America. So selling the phone to operators, mm-hmm. and that sort of got me started in, in the amazing world of sales. And then I started a company as well <clears throat> soon after that, uh, and I was the uh, the main sales guy for the company. That's in that company was called Group Talent, and that's where we sort of got the idea for outreach. And after a couple of years um, slugging it out in Group Talent, we built a tool internally that customers that sort of allow us to really scale out a very small sales team to reach out to many customers and sort of get a, a big pipeline going. And when, um, when we got a hold of customers and they would ask us, you know, you're, you're very persistent, you're very personalized, how do you do it? We would tell them, we told them what we build internally and people wanted to buy the tool, not the service. Right. So eventually it came out and, you know, shut down group talent and build that outreach, which was, you know, the operations of group talent and sold that instead. Huh. And Interesting. Well, that's what got us here. Interesting. So, me taking a step back and and before I dive into outreach a little bit, so in your mind, what what are you seeing today as sort of the biggest challenge facing sales? 
Um, there's a few. Um, the main one that we see facing sales is a couple of things. So the declining amount that the of sales rep spends actually doing sales is what we see as the biggest challenge facing sales. The declining that, amount of time they spend. Time, yeah, exactly. The, the declining amount of time that a sales rep spends doing, you know, create, doing actual sales activities. And, and it's interestingly enough, the, you know, the culprit is, is sort of, um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a moving, moving target. So one is, you know, when, when, when the CRM was, <clears throat> was created, it was a great tool for you to record what happens uh, in your sales cycle. But as sort of the reporting and, and, and the sort of the measuring got more, um, got fancier and got more, more, more com- complex, the, uh, the reporting requirements just continue to go up. And the amount of time that a rep has spent uh, with administrative tasks just grew uh, very rapidly. Uh, and on top of that, um, sales never got enough love from a product or technology side of the house. So, you know, what they were started doing is to start layering tools on top of the tools to try to solve this problem, but the problem just got worse. So then now, you know, fast forward to today, which you have a sales rep that has to spend a lot of time um, entering activities and entering data into the CRM, um, while at the same time they have a number of tools that, that they have to, you know, sort of go in and out of just to do their day-to-day job. Uh, and this panoply of, of tools plus CRM is just creating a lot of friction for the sales rep to just navigate quickly through the, the admin task and get back to sales. So you're saying the, the sales stack is too big? So the sales stack is getting a little a little too fragmented. I don't know about size, but it's definitely you know getting a lot of a, a lot of different tools doing you know single action activities that are not really helping the sales rep become more efficient, but rather just introducing more complexity and chaos into their process. Right. So, I mean, the reason I'm saying big is, based on your description, it sounds like there's opportunity for consolidation. Uh, there's definitely opportunity for consolidation. There's opportunity for rethinking about the sales, the sales process and, and introducing tools that sort of automate a lot more of what the rep is doing and sort of put them back on the phone and put them back on being personal. And being so, human. so where do you think those opportunities are to, to automate that exist today that haven't been automated? So if you follow the funnel, um, there's a number of things that you can, that, I mean, the big, the bigger pieces are around how do you, how do you get the rep um, to sort of sync their data into CRM without having the rep do it. Right. So that's, that's a, that's one of the holy grails that many companies are sort of chasing of, so the CRM sync and how do you do it in a smart way so that the rep spends the least amount of time on CRM and spends more time doing research or talking to the customer. Um, the second piece is how do you go ahead? Well, I was going to say, which ostensibly outreach.io helps. Right. I mean, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the, the main, our core value props. Mm-hmm. And the, the second one, which is more interesting, and this is sort of where we're going with our you know, intelligence releases, how do you bring the right information to the rep real time? So that the rep has, you know, all the bits and pieces of information in front of them when he needs it or she needs it so they can make a quick decision. Um, so, you know, if I'm doing research on you, I have to go in through a handful of websites plus whatever uh, information I'm buying from third party vendors to sort of get a good feel for, you know, who is Andy Paul and, you know, how, how am I, you know, what, what am I going to say when I, when I, when I, when I call you or what, what am I going to type in that email? Mm-hmm. So the ability to sort of bring that information in and sort of give you one um, window pane of inform of sort of like a, a, a sort of like a, a dossier on you that I can use and act on. Right. It's the other piece where reps are spending disproportionately amount of time and doing research and sort of going around and, and trying to find information. Um, <clears throat> and the third piece is around the communication workflow and what can you automate. 
Um, you know, and, and there is, there is sort of, you know, very tactical, um, small things in it, but that, that are technologically advanced. For instance, the ability to, you know, drop a voicemail, you know, where, where you're calling somebody else. If, you know, if, if I'm trying to get a hold of you and, um, and you don't respond, you want to move on to the next activity and you sort of drop the voicemail and move on to sort of, because if what you're going to say in the voicemail is relatively the same mm-hmm. every time you get a, um, every time you get a voicemail. Um, the other one is, you know, you, you know, how much automation and follow-up can you use in a particular sequence of steps? And, and this is sort of where, where we, where we, where I have to jump on the soapbox and, and sort of really talk about the, that the sales process is, 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 is that right. It's a process that needs to be measured. It needs to be optimized for what you're trying to get done. And it's not about, you know, whether I'm making the call or I'm sending the email or whether I'm personalized or I'm automated. It's really, what is the value of your action based on, the, the expected outcome, right? So if you are, if you are the value um, for who, for the few as a salesperson, exactly. Right. So the, the unit of measure that you have to trade is your time. And what are you going to do with that? You know, next five minutes, next half hour is really what you're, what you're optimizing for. So whether I make a phone call, who are you going to call and what are you going to say? And if I'm going to place an email, you know, how much time I'm going to spend that email and what I'm going to say in it. And that's really what you need to figure out you know, where do you use your personalization versus automation? Well, and which plays to the other half of the equation, though, which is that that same that same bargain <laughs> and equation exists on the other side, which is what's the value the customers going to get in return for investing their time to listen to that voicemail or take that phone call or to read that email? That's absolutely right. And, that, and, that's, and that's but that's exactly a trade off. Right. So if you are if, if you're just educating a customer, um, is your value best spent? Um, sending them an email or calling them or, or letting marketing automation get to them um, or sending them a white paper and sort of being, being done with that. So the, the interesting thing is that because you, you only have signals. So from the customer perspective, you, what we have right now, which is a very interesting development is that we, you know, it used to be that the customer, you know, in the days of marketing automation, right? The customer knew, um, the, 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 the presumption was that the customer knew a lot about the product or the services they're about to buy before they bought. And, you know, and, 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 and they even got as far as saying, you know, sales reps are just order takers. Everything happens in marketing automation, who's really walking the, the, uh, the customer down a path of down, a down, a, a sales, a sort of, um, a sales learning path. Mm-hmm. And it's really their, their, their app is just closing. And I think, you know, that was, that was one view of the world. And I think that view has been challenged. And now we are in, in sort of the opposite side of that, in which as a seller, I know a lot about my customer before I call them. I know a lot about not only that person himself or herself, but I know a lot about that persona type. And I know a lot about that company and a lot about the industry before I ever pick up the phone or send the first email. So there is ample opportunity right now to be very personalized, you know, to be very targeted and to do, you know, enough research. To, to make sure that when you send that email, you are almost dead on in terms of like, what are the, what are the um, opportunities or what are the sort of the, the pains that you're going to be pitching against? And, and sort of it's turning this, this job from, from sort of, you know, taking all this activity to one in which, you know, you're spending a bit more time uh, trying to figure out your customer and sort of, you know, picking the right story to tell that customer at that time so you can get a reaction from them. And then sort of using that story to walk down the, the funnel. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's sort of when automation comes in, right? So depending on the number of deals that you have, um, depending on, on, you know, your hypothesis and, you know, where the customer is in, in the buying journey, you're going to be using that particular type of language. And then the question is, you know, 
you know, depending on your ACV and the unit economics of what you're trying to do, you know, whether they, that communication that you're going to do is going to be something that is going to be, you know, automated, semi-automated or manual, right? Depending on, on what it, what is, where is that you want to spend your time and, and with whom and, and, and et cetera. Does that make sense? Sure. But I mean, this is when you talk about, you know, where you want to spend your time, I mean, that's also based, as you said earlier, though, it's really about not just where you want to spend your time, but also what the customer needs at that point in time. Correct. But it depends on, so, you know, from a process, from a process perspective, um, if you're, you, you know, so you, ha- you have to believe that if you're using an inside sales rep, um, that your ACV will justify the economics of your, the, the unit economics of your business justifies a rep, uh, you know, a, a rep reaching out. Or a rep taking your inbound. Yeah, just so people understand, ACV is is average contract value, right? Correct. Okay. So, so once you make that decision, then then you have a number of options from then on, right? Like you know, at an ACV of twenty thousand, of course you can you know kind of have an inside sales team, you know, being very personalized. But at an ACV of ten thousand or, or or less, then you really have to make the choices as to where you're gonna you know how you know what persona is your rep gonna be spending time with. And uh, what persona is better educated via other means so that, you know, the economics continue to work out for you, you know, while respecting whatever, you know, and running the hypothesis or whatever, you know, about the recipient of those communications. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, one of the things that is interesting about sales as well is that is that sales is not more, you know, it used to be, you know, there's no more no such thing as one call close anymore, especially in the B2B world. Right. And there's no such thing as, you know, the one decision maker. What you have is sort of. Um, you know, a political structure that you sort of need to navigate, even for very small companies, even if you come into outreach, you know, a year ago when there's only 40 people here, you know, if you want us to sell something, there's still, you know, I was eventually a check writer, but I will look to three or four people before I, you know, I made that decision, right? So one of them is the person that's going to live with it, but the other one is other people who sort of are knowledgeable in the space. And I feel like that has changed across, you know, in, in, across all B2B sales, especially in that, you need to understand who are the you know decision makers and influencers, and and sort of use that kind of approach to to really land the sale. I meaning you're going to have to you know talk to the end user, and there's a value prop for them. You're going to have to talk to the administrator, and there's in order managing there's a value prop for that person, and then you have to talk to the check writer or even the leader of that organization, and there's a different value prop for that person. And your job is to sort of work with marketing to figure out you know what how do you group that into personas, and what is the approach that you take for each. You see what I mean? And what is that they want to hear and where do you think they are in their buyer journey? So this is, this is why, you know, sales has gotten more complex in that, in that there is a lot more, um, there's a lot more people in the decision, in, in the decision cycle. However, there's also a lot more, um, there is, there's, you have a lot more technology in terms of what we, you know, what you can test in terms of like, you know, will an automated follow-up, you know, get you there where you need to go, or you really need to, you know, personalize the hell out of this particular message and really, mm-hmm. you know, really bring it home in, in, in a way that is, that is very personal because the, the, the time spent doing it, you know, has positive ROI on your end. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple things there as, as one is, and the we, so separate conversation we could, we could have about is selling more complex, you know, the decision-making isn't more complex. Cause I, I, I haven't bought into that yet because as someone who, whose career transcends <laughs> both halves of the, uh, of the, of, let's say of the technological evolution. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really different. I mean, despite what CEB says about, you know, Hey, 5.8 or 6.8 people now, at least with what I sold in the past, it was always the case that that was it. You know, there were always these multiple stakeholders um, and you weren't just selling to one person. So I, 
but I, I don't think that really matters as much as I think that what I heard you saying, though, I think is really sort of interesting is that is it you can see the trend evolving is that if you do have this complex sales environment, especially in the lower ACVs, you know, 10,000 and under, then what you're saying is that companies increasingly are going to be sort of faced with this choice where if they're using inside sales model where, hey, below a certain ACV, you are, and that ACV is getting higher actually, <laughs> is, is you are going to be almost purely automated in your sales process. Well, and, and that's the part that, that I'm not, so there's two pieces, right? When you say purely automated, what you're implying is that, is that there's an element of human behavior, there's an element of human interaction in that, in that the human needs to understand, they need to make the choices of how do you cut the data and how do you cut the automation in such a way that when you're reaching to somebody with something that was you know, ultimately automated, that that message or that piece of information lands. Right. And the reason you need automation is too. one is, you know, because of the obvious time saving. The other one is you need at least some kind of assistant to figure out to continuously test your message and test your approach. You see what I mean? And this is why it's hard to argue, you know, to get religious on this and really argue one way, one side of the argument on another. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is triangulating, right? You're triangulating your efficiency of your rev versus where the customer is at in terms of their, their buying cycle, in terms of what they need to actually understand more about your value prop mm-hmm. before jumps on the phone and really makes, you know, makes that connection and sort of brings it home. So and the only way to do it is by sort of continuously testing your message, testing your approach, testing your persona classification, and really have a system that sort of helps you go down the path as you get smarter. You know what I mean? And this is, you know, even when I, and, and that's really how you make a, 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 a team successful. That's really when we see sort of high performers versus the low performers in, a, in an organization is that they have put a lot of this thought up front and they're, they're continuously refining their, their hypothesis and their views as to what's going to work and what won't. You see what I mean? So the, um, the, the, the arguments as to, you know, who do you call, when do you call, and what time you, you know, what, you know, whether it's automated and whatever is, you know, it, 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 it's only one of the many data points that you use in terms of like what action are you going to make yourself and take based on um, the, the, the persona that you're reaching out to. Mm-hmm. So what are you finding in terms of the challenges for in that environment for reps to really engage with the prospects on, you know, on, the, on the level that they need to, to build the relationship and the trust that's going to result in a sale? And this is sort of a refrain I'm hearing quite a bit from people on my interview for the show, CEOs I talk to using yep. inside sales as, as they see that as sort of their challenge. Right? Is how do how do we we're getting better at and we're being persistent. We're getting through the people, but then when we finally get the chance to have that person to person interaction, yeah, ooh, that's that's the weak part of the chain. So I, I, I mean, you touch on so many points that I could take fifty different directions. <laughs> um, but um, choose one. We'll go with it. Yeah. So first of all, okay. So let me get right that down so I, I so I make sure I don't forget because this is this alone is going to end up in the rest of this time talking. So. Uh, so there's two main points here that we need to tease out. So one is process and how well the process is defining, how well does a customer really understand their, their prospects and their customers. And the other one is how well, how well trained are SDRs and AEs who are jumping on the phone and really having these conversations. And I mean, and interestingly enough, we, we, we find gaps in both, um, in, in process wise, most companies don't have a view of sort of a really detailed view on an understanding and hypothesis around their persona, meaning who are they reaching out to? What are the potential pain points that they're going to be selling against? 
And at the end of the day, what is the story that they need to weave into the narrative so that when that rep calls, he has a point of view that he's that he, that is is just part of the longer story, right? I call you, you know, I have a hypothesis around, you know, you're if I'm selling you ERP, for instance, just as a matter of you know argument, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm calling you and and I'm, I'm and, I, and 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 there's two ways to do it, right? I can either give you an opportunity, tell you, you know, challenge your current situation and say, hey, I bet you didn't know this. That this this little ticking time bomb that is happening in your shop, and if you don't call me right now, there is millions of revenue you could be not making by not calling me or something along those lines, right? Sure. Or you can, or you could, or, or you could use the the positive upside of saying, um, you know, we can make your life a lot easier if you buy our stuff. You know, give me a call. Yeah, when um, you ask a question about something they should know about their business but don't, that's a compelling a compelling leave behind. Yes, right. So so you know so breaking it down as to, I mean, that's that's a fine general message, but. You know, there is the end users, there's the administrator, and then the VP of ops, for instance, who, is, who are all affected by this decision. So breaking it down and really getting granular as to, you know, what is the messaging that is going to resonate for each persona? And it's how, is, how does persona best receive that message, right? So if you are, uh, you know, in your 50s and you live in the Midwest, you're very apt to pick up the phone. And that's, a, you know, in using a lot of phone calling, it's a, it's a very fine method of reaching out. But if you're in your... You know, if you're a millennial and you live in one of the coasts, I don't even remember last time you pick up the phone. And especially if you don't know where they're calling you from. So don't use the phone. Use something else. Use social. Use email. Use whatever. So the idea is, is that, you know, you break down. So you have this matrix or like even, you know, N space, um, you know, cube in which you're really defining all the different attributes of the persona, meaning starting with a story, the problem, the method and the, and the, and the, um, and the, uh, and the communication vehicle to really sort of hone in as to, you know, how are you going to make that approach? And once you make that approach, then you have to be able to sort of jump on the phone and, and continue the story that started with the first communication. And that's also where it breaks. It's like, you know, where did I make that? Where was that point of interest? And how do I navigate that into a conversation? And at the end of the day, it's interesting um, that you said that, you know, things haven't changed in sales. And I tend to agree that by the t- when, once you get on the phone, you're dealing with, you know, just a straight up human behavior. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Somebody has, you know, they get on the phone and the guard is up and you need your job is to bring that guard down. And, you know, if you end up after five minutes of getting on the phone, you're talking shop. That's that's the goal. Right. One in which you're both going back and forth. You're adding value. You're getting value in return. You're adding, you know, the, the, the customer is giving you more information, which makes your your approach a lot more, a lot stronger. And all of a sudden you're in you're in business because you're not selling, you're advising, you're conversing. You see what I mean? Right. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. So. The, um, I think that the, to, to bring to, to sort of bring this to conclusion, I think there's two major gaps here. One is that the process itself is both not being you know well defined or followed, and and, 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 and B, once you get a rep, once you get a rep on the phone and the rep is bringing you know navigating that deal to conclusion, there is the rep is not equipped with all the story points and all the sort of high and all the frames that he needs to use to be able to really you know get the best out of that conversation with the customer. And I think both are sort of large gaps. We're only dealing with, you know, the process gap, but the, the, tra- the training gap is something that, you know, we're always thinking about because, you know, we have to deal with that in that in our own environment. Right. But we see it across the board. You know, we have 1,500 customers, so we, every time we talk to one, we get to catalog all their pains, and we're seeing a lot of that. And so, uh, if, based on that, I mean, what, what are you seeing as their, their primary pains? Even using your system, you know, where I mean, the, the, the one that we solve, the one that we come in sort of, you know, ready to to rock is that, and actually there was a study, um, that, that I read that came, they came from, uh, McKinsey a while ago that there's sort of two conclusions. One is that 
you know, only 10% of the people getting trained are actually seeing value for the training and, and sort of getting a real return from, mm-hmm. from training. And the second piece is that, uh, is that even after you get the training, very few people actually follow it. So you come, you know, you, you, you're new, brand new VP of sales, you come into a shop and you're like, all right, we need X, Y, or Z training. So you bring in the trainer and you get everybody on the same page, you get all the playbooks, people leave, and then you send your reps back to work. And there is no training, drilling, and ways to make sure that the, 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 the motions that you set in place, that you set in, that you, that you want to set in place are, are there, followed and respected along with all the different measuring mechanisms to make sure that, that, that you have proper inspection throughout the process. So what we sell against is, is, is exactly that. When we come into a shop, they all have a process. Is the process followed? 99% of the time is no. Or said 99% of the time is no. No. Yeah. And well, that's a, but okay, that's an interesting <laughs> question in itself is, 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 you know, let me, let me tell you why the process, the process is, is followed by only, by only a handful of people. And even those are not, you know, nobody knows whether the process is even working or not. So the, you know, the, the, the longevity of the process that was in, in, in play, that was set in place mm-hmm. usually diminishes over time. Right. You know, and given, and given the churn, et cetera, that you have in, in sales teams, you know, give it a year or two, and then the process is, is, is unrecognizable. Yet, at the highest levels, people think that they do have a process. So all we do in the first, you know, for most of our sales engagements is just make sure that the process is being followed and measured. And that alone, you know, gives you the first bump in ROI mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. outreach. So that was, that is, you know, our, mostly our bread and butter, is making sure that your process is being followed and that you measure what the result of that is. And even in some instances, you know, we come in, when people have, you know, he- heavy email, heavy, you know, um, unpersonalized email or heavy calling, uh, and, and it's the wrong process for the audience, right? So, you know, the moment you measure it, it becomes obvious right now that compared to, you know, your, your peers, um, you're not getting the results that you should be getting and you need to tweak it. So and here's those- an interesting question, I guess, so along those lines, and this is something I hear quite a bit from executives that are looking at hiring and so on, is... is and this is this choice. I'm interested to get your opinion on this. Is is okay? You've got a process. I mean, do you hire people that fit the process and will work the process as opposed to even if they're not necessarily the A players? Or would you reach out maybe to get that maverick A player who maybe won't adhere to the process but might still perform at a certain level? I mean, it seems like that's a trade off. A lot of people are sort of looking at making. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And, um, it really depends on the type of business you're in, I think. So, uh, so the, the, the obvious answer is, of course, you're going to, you know, the process should make the team, the, the, the process should, should, should the, it, it, people should follow the process. Um, and, and that, that, that makes for a more scalable business, right? So if, when, when you, um, when that, that means that you're, you're less, uh, so, uh, your, 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 your risk, um, is less, um, defined by the type of people that come in. People may come and go, but if you have a process that can take a, you know, a, an, a, a above average person and turn them into a, a powerhouse salesperson and they can do it, you know, consistently, then, then you have longevity in your, in your process and, and you, and prosperity in the business. Yeah. I, mean, I call that the, the Bill Belichick method. I mean, precisely. That's I mean, he's notorious for having a great process, but he doesn't go by the expense of free agents. He gets people that fit the slots and the roles they have. 
That's exactly right. I mean, one of my favorite books is um, it's uh, this court takes care of itself. Um, and, and, in, and in that book, um, oh, Bill Walsh, right? Bill, Bill Walsh talks right. about you know the standard of performance, and everybody has a standard of performance, and the standard of performance is, is you know it has it has it, it gives you the ability to to sort of bring anybody in who adheres to the standard of performance, and then you get production out of the person, and it's, it's very repeatable. And I think this is especially acute in SaaS businesses. Because in SaaS businesses, what you're buying as an investor, it's not so much, you know, the disruption in the software world, blah, blah, blah. What you're getting is, you know, recurrent, recurrent revenue. That's what you pay for. So as, as a recurrent revenue machine, anybody in the SaaS world has to be able to create a repeatable process for sales. Because, you know, no, nobody in the SaaS world buys a company that has lumpy um, or that, that has, you know, very lumpy um, growth. Uh, or, or that growth is very susceptible to, you know, the type of salesperson or the, you know, the vintage or, you know, the, uh, the ability of a particular salesperson. And, and one of the things that, you know, as a, as a, as a venture funded business, you know, when we went for fundraising last time, um, one of the, one of the, one of the areas where, you know, VCs like to dig deep is, you know, how much of your revenue is driven by, you know, one or two superstar individuals versus is this a process that is mm-hmm. repeatable and you, you have quota taming across the board, et cetera. You know, and if, and if you look at, you know, the latest surveys coming from both CSO and Accenture, et cetera, what you're seeing is quota attainment is going, you know, it's, it's, it's has been, has been dropping yes. uh, consistently that now to the point that we're back to, you know, where we were in 2006 in terms of the percentage of people, you know, attaining quota. Well, and that, that raises an interesting question. One I've, I've asked more than one guest is, okay, well, we're in this, well, I'll say quote unquote golden age of sales, given the you know, explosion onto the scene of all these great sales technologies. And yet, what we're seeing is that, yeah, performance, at least on some measures, and whether they're 100% accurate or not is, is sort of beyond the point. If we look at them yeah. as trends in terms of CSO Insights, we look at Forrester, their research that said that the close rate for B2B sales is dropping, yeah. has dropped consistently over the last five years. What what's happening? I mean, what, you know, is this just an inflection point? We're learning how to use these technologies or are they really not, not helping? No. So it's interesting you say that. So if you look at, if you look at, um, the CSO numbers and sort of, you know, go, go one level deep, um, from, from the obvious metrics, what you're seeing is that this is happening, uh, with inverse relationship with CRM adoption. So all these shops that are, that are, that have, on, that are underperforming have um, have eighty five percent and above CRM adoption. So it, it's either non correlated or inversely correlated. Meaning, they, you know, rolling out CRM is doing nothing to your quota attainment ability. So then, then the next question is: So what is it? What is it? What is it related to? Like, what is actually causing it? And one of the areas where where CSO digs a little deeper is, do you follow your own process? And this gets back to my previous point. And what you're seeing is that, you know, those who follow their process have, you know, 60% of above chances of quota attainment. Whereas those who don't, which is, you know, the, 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 the midsection and, and, and sort of the, 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 the average performers and the low performers, those who have less than 50% adoption of their own process actually tend to miss quota more often. So the one, the quick fix for the majority of these shops is just following their own process. And it sort of correlates nicely to this, with the study that, it, that McKinsey did, and, you know, a few articles that I read on HBR that 
the, the, the ability, you know, the, once you follow your process, you will be able to measure it. Once you're able to measure, you will be able to optimize it. But most people don't even follow their own process. And the problem is that it's because it's administratively heavy. A lot of these playbooks, you know, require a lot of interaction, human interaction with the CRM. And the CRM, frankly, was designed for, you know, the, the value of the CRM is the value the human gives it to the CRM. Meaning if the human is not manually inputting all this information into the CRM, the value of the CRM goes, you know, diminishes quickly. So this is what you see, you know, in a land in which, you know, CRM adoption is increasing, a quarter time is actually decreasing. It's because they, the, 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 A, the process is not, being, it's not being followed, and B, the process is in itself very burdensome to the, to the, to the, to the rep. Well, it would be really interesting to see, look at those figures sliced with, let's say, those that are using, you know, a tool like Outreach.io, for instance, because to me, I think one of the genius of what Salesforce has done is said, yeah, we want, you know, an Outreach.io because in one respect, it is the easiest way to get data into Salesforce. That's exactly right. I mean, so <laughs> it seemed like a fairly clever move on their part to say, look, we've unless we want to fundamentally rejigger our architecture, let's get all these yeah, other that, tools that, that are out there that make it easier to get data into our system. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, funny you mentioned that. Because one of the reasons um, our, our customers are buying outreach is because it, it makes the Salesforce investment work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's interesting when you think about the fallacy of the sunk cost, um, yes. is that, is that it, it exists, but nobody wants to be the one who sunk it. You see what I mean? <laughs> but nobody's going to say, you know, this cost is sunk, let's move on. I mean, that's a fine economic argument, but it doesn't make any sense at the human level. You see what I mean? Well, so no, you but, it's, 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 but that's interesting you bring that up because, you know, outside of sales infrastructure you're talking about, I mean, the sunk cost dilemma in sales itself is... You know, why, why are our pipelines so full of prospects that, that are never going to close? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because of that whole, that whole sunk cost dilemma. Exactly. So, I mean, it, it's, 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 I mean the, the, the behavior is perverse across the board. But unless you have a, you know, a tool. So, you know, when we come in and sell outreach, you know, outreach A makes the, the first investment, um, you know, it validates the first investment because it now keeps the CRM clean and puts out all the information that needs to be there, et cetera. But in the sense of the, you know, in the pipeline, it, it allows you to sort of work on the areas of the pipe that are actually, you know, are going to pay out, you know, I mean, and put in the activity um, where, you know, where, where well, and, and sort of put in the activity. Mm-hmm. Now, the, you know, cleaning out the pipeline and, 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 and sort of dispensing with opportunities that are not going to close or are going nowhere. That's a, that's a great, that's a great topic, <laughs> um, especially around. You know, um, one of the pet, one of the biggest pet peeves we get from from sales VPs is that you, you, to really, you know, to you know, every time you're trying to forecast um, opportunity closing, you look at the opportunity pipeline, and is you know, there's a lot of ninety percent. There's a lot of things that are you know just going to close or about to close. You know, we're you know in final uh, we're in final talks, etc. But if you correlate that to the activity, very little is happening. So you know, you see a lot of reps committing. Um, opportunities that haven't had activity in in days or even weeks, and and if you even go down one level, what you're seeing is activities not happening with the right people, right? Sure. So if you are, you know, if you are a ninety percent opportunity and you haven't really engaged, say, procurement, you're not closing that opportunity in the next two weeks. No. You see oh no, absolutely. So, I, I, we could have a whole. We'll do this actually. <laughs> oh, a whole separate show on forecasting because. Yeah, don't get me started. I, we don't have time today, but it's it's, <laughs> it's broken. I mean, what you just said is is everybody's hot button. Like I haven't met a sales a sales VP in which I, if I don't if I don't press that I don't get a you know a good fifteen minute 
you know, rant about, you know, sure. what's happening, et cetera. Well, I mean, and I wrote about this in my last book is, is, you know, sort of the fallacy of forecasting with CRMs is that they're all stage-based. And <laughs> that, you oh know, just, God, by vir- just by virtue of submitting a proposal, let's say, if you say that suddenly gives you a 75% chance of winning. Exactly. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially if there are four other competitors on the deal, well, f- mathematically, you can't all have a 75% chance of winning just because you all submitted a proposal. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll, we'll come back to that one. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, Manny, we're moving to the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one's a hypothetical scenario where you've just been hired as VP of sales to do a sales turnaround at a company of sales has turned stalled out. Um, CEOs anxious <laughs> like yourself, anxious to get things back on track. So if you were in that role, what are the two things that you could do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? It's funny you mentioned that because we, we touched on this um, just a minute ago, is that I would look at your sales playbook and I would make sure that the reps are following the playbook and that my instrumentation that I got from my sales operation actually reflects what people are supposed to do, be doing as part of the playbook. Okay. Um, and that's, that would be, that's my first, that's step number one. Um, then of course, you know, then you move down to, you know, looking at rep performance versus, you know, what you expect out of the rep. And then you look at, you know, the rep performance versus, you know, peer groups, mm-hmm. um, in your, in your, in your market. Um, then after that, you know, you look at sort of, you know, a, a stage, uh, for each stage of the pipeline, you sort of look at, you know, time spent in each stage and, you know, sort of conversion rates and so on and so forth to make sure that, you know, your story matches the, 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 uh, the business that you're trying to, to sell or pitch and the, 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 and the audience you're going after. Okay. I'm a, I'm a, um, so, th- I mean, that's, that's my, that'd be good. You know, that's a good start. They plan. Okay. Excellent. Like it. So some rapid fire questions for you. Then the first one is when you Manny are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Um, that I'm, I'm, I'm really good at getting somebody to sort of talk shop with me very okay. quickly. All right. Who's your sales role model? Ah, there's a few. Um, I love, um, Mike Weinberg. Mm-hmm. Um, his book was very influential into me, you know, growing as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, um, uh, there's a, 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 you know, I recently came from, um, from, um, uh, so what, what, uh, I, 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 from a Tony Robbins, um, right. uh, uh, what is it called? Um, event. And, and the stuff that I learned there really is really helps me sort mm-hmm. of take all the conversation and set a high frame and so forth. Okay. So those two. Excellent. So what's one book you think every salesperson should read? Oh, by far, uh, my Weinberg's. New Sales book. Simplified? Yes. New, yeah. Okay. If you read nothing else, read that. That's a good book. And That's, your book. Oh, which one? Amp Up Your Sales. Oh, good. Well, thank you. And, um... All right, last question for you. What music is on your playlist? Uh, depending depends on what I'm uh, what I'm trying to to get to get done. So if I'm just cranking um, yeah. and I'm just heads down, um, Sex Pistols ah, is my go-to. Classic. Okay, like it, like it. Good. Yeah, you may. I think you may be the first one out of uh, that's answered the Sex Pistols. That's a, that's a good one. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't. Gosh, 
people don't listen to as much good stuff. All right. I know. I know. Manny, I want to thank you for being on the show today and tell folks how they can find out more about uh, outreach or connect with you. Yeah, please go to outreach.io or just email me directly at manny at outreach.io. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks again. And remember, friends, thank you for taking the time to join us today. And remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Easy way to do that, take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Manny Medina, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.